Well, good morning again. Let's take your Bible. Turn to 1 Peter. We're in the middle of a teaching series. Been there since January. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It is so good to see you guys. I say this every week. I'm fired up to be here, and I am so thankful I get to be your pastor. Uh, there's no other f- place I'd rather be, no other place my wife and I, Sarah Beth, and we have to be, and we can't wait to baptize our grandchildren here one day. So uh, I just felt like I wanted to say that this morning and just ecstatic about what the Lord's doing here. And as you drove on campus this morning, you saw all the new expansion and the construction. A lot of stuff has happened this week here. Um, with our facility. Um, just to kind of give you an update, uh, after building two churches now and in a house, um, all the framing and all the exterior goes up really fast. I just want to encourage you on something. It's going to really slow down now. Um, we're hoping to be in here in September in our new expansion, and uh, God willing, um, we'll be there, and, and the Lord will leverage that. Um, as you drove up to, you saw the exterior. That's not what's going to be there. That's actually the base, and there's going to be a different type of exterior. It's going to really make this building pop and leverage that for the gospel. I cannot wait for you guys to see that, and hopefully that will start going up this week. So Lord's been faithful. Um, we're excited about all the stuff that's happening around here, but I'm really excited about what we're doing in First Peter this morning. So turn to chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17. Um, last week, I was not preaching. Steve Santis, our missionary in Haiti and pastor in Haiti, preached for me. Did a fantastic job, did he not? I'm so grateful for that guy. Got to go out to lunch with him afterward. I always feel dumber after hanging out with him for a couple of reasons. One, the guy has a background and a degree in theology. I can hang with that. But then he has a degree and he's a certified uh, public accountant, CPA, and he does all that. And then as he was preaching last week, we found out he was also an engineer. Speaks two languages, has several churches, and God has used him faithfully in some fascinating ways. And the only thing I can say to him is I can speak redneck pretty good. Um, And so we're very grateful for that partnership and very thankful that God is moving like he is in Haiti. And now, as we saw last week in the Dominican, and continuing to do so here at River Hills. But since he preached last week, I want to catch you up on some things that are happening. We're in the middle of 1 Peter dealing with a series called Fortified. And I want to kind of give you a background or maybe overview some things in case you forgot. So let's start out at a real basic level. Y'all with me on this? The book of 1 Peter was written by whom? Oh, come on, people. you got to wake up a little more. 9.30 was louder than you. I just want to get, and they didn't get as much sleep. 1 Peter was written, written by whom? Peter. Y'all were about like that much louder. Thank you. Um, Peter was Jesus' number one disciple. He was the leader of all the disciples, became the leader of the apostles, and has a fascinating background. Not only is he a good old boy, a blue-collar boy, fisherman-type guy, rough-and-tumble type man, um, he was the guy who first made a confession that Jesus was the Christ, was the Messiah, had the first public profession of faith. And as he came to Christ and as he followed Jesus towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he betrayed Christ three times. Later on, Christ reinstated him, and 40 days later, Simon Peter stood up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, preached the gospel, over 5,000 people came to know Christ. What I love about Peter is that because, even though he had what we call foot and mouth disease, he had no filter, God still used him. God can still use you regardless of your background, regardless of your history. I love that about him, don't you? And as he writes this letter, he's writing it to a group of churches in present-day Turkey. I'm going to take you all the way back to high school geography, okay? In present-day Turkey, there are several churches that have been planted in that area of the world. And Peter is writing from prison to communicate to them that they need to fortify their faith 
because they're exiles. Now, what we've learned so far is the book of 1 Peter was written not only to these churches, but he addresses them as exiles. Now, exiles, what we normally see as people who are exiles, um, are people who have been kicked out of their nation. But that's not totally accurate in this context. Exiles in this context are people who knew Jesus. And their citizenship is in heaven. So what I want to identify you as, if you know Christ, you're in exile. This is not your home. This is just where you're staying until you get into heaven, and that's where your citizenship lies. Now, what's so important about that is that as you're in this temporary place, it feels like as believers, we're swimming upstream. Everything seems to go against what we're trying to do, whether it be a value, whether it be a belief, or whether it be a mindset. And I want to communicate something very clear as we begin this morning. That's totally normal because we're abnormal here. It's supposed to feel that way. It's supposed to be challenging. And as Peter's writing this letter, the theme of the entire book is in chapter 4, verse 19. And he communicates this. He says, those who suffer according to God's will must do two things. One, be faithful to their creator, meaning trust God. And number two, they're simply to do what he says. And the premise of this book is trust God and do what he says. And if you want to fortify your life in a culture that pushes against your faith, here's the thing. Trust God. And do what he says. Does that make sense? So chapter 1, we dealt with the majesty of salvation and what that looks like and the links that Christ did to show us his incredible plan and his love for us through salvation. And in chapter 2, we begin to deal more specifically with application. Now, we left off two weeks ago in verse 12. And the really in that one verse, he tells us to do good works so that other people might see that and glorify God. Meaning... You live out your testimony, you live out your faith by what you do, not just what you say. Now, we believe that, right? We honor that. We acknowledge that. Jesus said it, Peter said it, Paul said it, John said it, Moses said it. Everybody, it's in Scripture. But here's the problem. (coughs) People exist. And that causes us to think bad things, sometimes do bad things, and act in bad ways. Would y'all agree? Our greatest moments in life are involve other people that we love. And our worst moments in life involve people that we don't like so much, right? And when we have to deal with people from a relational perspective, whether submitting to authority or being married, how we act has to be congruent with what we believe. Make sense? And so we begin this morning with verse 13. And I want, to know, I want you to notice something here. It's really important that you grab hold of that. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to be dealing, and this is going to be our starting point in verse 13. We're going to be dealing with this whole concept of what Peter uh, really outlines and how we relate to people. And our first section, this is what we're going to be dealing with this morning, is how do we relate to people who are in leadership, who are in authority over us. So notice what he says. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. To every human authority. Now stop here. This is so important for us to begin to grasp and to understand. There are people in our lives, whether it be police officers, teachers, principals, or presidents, that have authority over us. We may not choose it, but they do. Agreed? They just do. Now next week we're going to deal with bosses and being an employee and how to be a healthy boss. But this week we deal with it from the perspective of what Peter begins to outline for us is how in the world do we deal with people relationally who are in authority over us? You follow me on this? 
How do we deal with these folks whom we may agree with or who we may not agree, agree with? Well, the answer is simply, it's all about submission. Now, this is going to be a truth, and this is going to be a principle that we're going to follow over the next two or three weeks. And it begins with a submission to the Lord. In fact, in order for you to know Christ, in order for you to get to heaven, there has to be a submissiveness to who God is, meaning he's perfect, we're not, we need heaven, we're not going there. And so asking Christ to come into our lives, we submit to him and say, Lord, we need you, we fall short. Make sense? There's submissiveness to God there. But he lays out his purposes and plans for us to follow, relationally speaking, and specifically this morning, with authority that we need to begin to add to our lives and apply. Now, this is timely for us because the presidential political season has kicked off, right? How many of you are already tired of it? I mean, just get ready. It's going to be there for a long time. Now, regardless of who you vote for, regardless of which side of the aisle you stand in, the reality is, for the believer, our job is to submit to the human institution. Now, you're saying in your brain right now, some of these authorities and human institutions, I wholeheartedly disagree with. In fact, Chip, they're counter-Christian, right? They're wrong. Our core values are different. Our belief system is different. How dare you call me to submit to them? When I was in college, I, I, and let me, let me preface this. I don't think my children are in here, so praise the Lord for that for the moment because I'm going to tell a story about myself that I, my wife would not appreciate them knowing. Um, I was a terrible student. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. When, when I started dating Sarah Beth, um, I got Dean's List, and my wife was, my, my mom was like, this is the one for you, you know, for sure. Uh, she, I, I wanted to do better because she was in my life, and I've uh, tried to live that way ever since. But before that, let me just say this, I was not a great student. In fact, when I got to college, I found out, you don't have to go to class. Praise the Lord from whom all blessings flow. I get to sleep in, so I'd stay up to three or four, Sleep into three or four and just repeat every day. There's a problem, though. I, I didn't think they took role, but they do. Um, so I had this whole plan of action in mind. I'll find out when the test dates are. I'll get ready for that test and show up on the day of the test, and I'll ace the test and do well and get a B or an A in the class, and a B equals degree, and I'll be fine. And that's, that's great. And so I was taking this one class, and it was so easy. It was one of these classes that's like help. You know what I mean? And, and, and I, I just decided I didn't want to go to class. So I would sleep in, I'd go once a week, I'd keep up with my assignments, I'd pass, and I'd get A's on the test, and all that stuff. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, if I don't attend enough days, I'm going to have to repeat this class. And so I knew I was on the verge, and I was so scared of this. And I got home after uh, the fall semester, and I was there on Christmas break. And back in those days, kids, what you would do is, at my college, you would call a certain number, and they would tell you what grade you made. All right, any of y'all remember any of this stuff? And so I called this number, my mom was in the other room, and I'm calling it, and I'm trying to keep it real quiet, praying to the Lord that she didn't pick up the phone and listen because nobody had cell phones then because they cost $18,000. And so you're listening on this thing, and it was like course one, A, course two, B, and here comes that course I'd been skipping all those classes, and it went course three, B, and I'm like, woohoo! I beat the system, people! I beat it! And I went in, I ran to my mother, and I said, Mom, guess what? I didn't go to this class ever, and I got a B. 
celebrate with me, Mom. Get on the other line. So I called, and she was on one phone. We had the cordless phones. We're sitting there at each other, and I'm talking, and I'm listening, and it was like course 1A, course 2B. I misheard it, and it said course 3D, which means I had to take the course over again, which means I lost my scholarship, which means at 42 years old, I'm still paying for it. Laugh now, you know. <laughs> Why do I tell you that story? There is a consequence when you don't obey human institution. And those consequences can have almost a lifelong effect for you, right? Whether it be a law you disobey, a speed limit sign you ignore, or disrespect that you show to a teacher. These consequences in life are just as much sin as lying. Follow me on this? Because I want you to notice something in Scripture. Let's go back to verse 13 here. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. God is calling Christians to be submissive to leadership. Now, this is something we're not comfortable with, people. I want you to notice two phrases here. Let's go to the first one, submit yourselves, which means be subject to. And I want you to get the word picture here. It's as if a general brings up his troops and lines them in straight lines and says, do these things, be well disciplined, be equipped, have your gun loaded, have your uniform in order because we're about to go to war. And if you are in the appropriate place the way the general says to go, the more apt you are to achieve victory. Does that make sense? See, many of us, we're so uncomfortable with that word submission. Because in our sin nature, we're not wired to submit. Because to submit means we got to hand over some part of control. Agreed? <coughs> we don't like that. We don't want to do that. But the nature of faith means you're submissive to God and you're submissive to what He says. And His calling for us is to be submissive to the authorities. You see, understand this. Many of us look at submission as weakness. God looks at submission as strength because he's all-powerful. And we're submissive to him. There's strength in that. God looks at submission as strength. That's the position you sit in when you're submissive to what the Lord wants. Now, there's another phrase here in verse 13, and you need to really grab hold of this because this is, don't, don't read through it quick, guys. Go back to verse 13. Sometimes we read through this so fast that we miss it. Notice what happens. Be submissive or submit yourselves, notice what it says, for the Lord's sake. You see that? Now, we're going to talk about submission as it pertains to authority, as it pertains to employment, and as it pertains to marriage over the next couple of weeks. You're not doing this for you. You're not doing this for the other person. You're doing this for the Lord. Understand that. There is a gospel-centered idea. There is a gospel-centered truth about submission, and it's not about you and me. It's about God. When we're called to submit, it's not simply to benefit those around us or us. It's to bring glory to God. And understand this. Being submissive means that it is an act of worship. You worship God in your life by submitting to what the Lord calls you to submit to. Could be your parent, could be your teacher, could be your president. But the reality is, you're called to submit. 
I'm called to submit to leadership. It's not natural. It's not comfortable. But it's what God mandates for us to do. Now, in saying all that stuff, when we submit to the Lord's sake, it, 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 it drives us back to the heart of the Creator. Now, let's think. When we typically say worship, we talk about what we sing, right? I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship because we're going to sing, then we're going to sit and listen, and then we're going to leave. But I want you to understand something. Worship from a biblical perspective is what you do with your life. But let's just use the singing moment of a worship service as an illustration. We just got through singing about the reckless love of God, right? I love the phrase in that song, there's no shadow. He won't cast out his one mountain. He won't climb. He'll leave the 99 to go and rescue you. Here's the thing. Only God can do that. That is a big and awesome God. And we're submissive to the fact that he comes to find you. We find salvation. Do you see that? We sang a few moments ago, even at the beginning of our service, awaken our hearts, Lord. Awaken our hearts, Lord. And the thing is, when we want to experience a spiritual renewal, it's not based upon you, it's based upon Him. And we plead out to the Lord, God, awaken our heart. Awaken our hearts. Lord, we're submissive to that. You understand that? In a few moments, we're going to sing a song called Do It Again. And we're going to ask God to bring revival to us, bring revival to our country, to this community, and to our world. You can't do that, but God can. Do you follow that? There's a submissiveness that we have to the Lord in how we live our lives. It's conveyed in many senses in how we worship and how we sing and what we say. Because living our life on this planet, relationally, we're going to honor God. It's all about submission. Now let's look at specifically what that looks like. Because we're going to give you the what and then we're going to give you the how. You follow that? What and how. So hang on. Notice what happens. Go back to verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. Now, he mentions two different types of authority here. There's the emperor and there are the governors. Do you see that? Now, you've got to understand, as Peter's writing this, Emperor Nero is in charge. And he is a bad dude, okay? He is not a good person. In fact, in the lines, between the lines of 1 Peter, you can smell the hint of a coming persecution. Not too long after Peter wrote this letter, Nero demands and calls for Christians to be killed and to be persecuted. They would bring Christians into the Colosseum in Rome and have them eaten by lions. They would smother them with olive oil and put them on stakes in the middle of the garden in order, and light them on fire in order so people could have parties around them. It was a terrible time in Christendom. So you've got to understand something. As Peter's writing these words to submit to authority, to submit to the emperor, he's talking about Nero, okay? And now that Nero calls for people to worship him as a deity, which goes absolutely against Christian belief, right? <clears throat> now, in your mind's eye, you're thinking, hey, this is not how I'm supposed to live my life. You're right. We're going to get to that in just a few moments. But what I want you to understand here is that he's calling Christians, and he covers everything, to submit to the guy in charge and the guys he places in charge over you. Make sense? Whether it be a police officer, whether it be a parent, whether it be a guardian, whether it be a county commissioner, whether it be a principal, it doesn't matter. When he calls us to be submissive to human authority, he's saying simply this, 
is that your gospel expression is played out in part by how you submit to human authority. Now, we're not comfortable with that always, are we? But the reality is, it's what God calls us to do. Now, if we look a little further into this, I want you to read a little more here. Let's go to verse 14. <coughs> he says, Or to the governors who, sent, who, were, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, to commend those who do right. There's your purpose of human institution. is to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Do you see that? Now, let's talk, let's talk about it from a bad perspective. All of us have had bad leaders in our life, right? We've had people who have punished us for no reason at all. There are Hitlers in this world. There are Stalins in this world. There are Mussolinis in this world. There are some bad leaders, okay? And they don't follow God's protocol. But on the other extreme, there are some good leaders too that we've intentionally rebelled against. Have y'all ever done that before? Everybody say yes, you have. There's been a teacher in your life whom you rebelled against. There's been a police officer that justifiably pulled you over and you were rude too, right? There have been those times where we have been absolutely and completely rebellious and unsubmissive to a positive leader. Now here's what I want you to understand. God's plan in putting them in place is to commend those that do good and punish those that do evil. However, there are leaders who do really bad. Now we're going to attack that at the very end of our time together because that's what you're thinking. But let's just deal with the positive for the next few minutes. Our calling is to submit to human authority. But there's more to the story. Let's go to verse 15. Notice this. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now here's the thing. God has a plan in our submission. Keep that in mind. As you uncomfortably step out and say, I'm going to be submissive to my teacher. I'm going to be submissive to my parents. I'm going to be submissive to the political leaders who are elected. I'm going to be submissive to the police officers or whoever it may be. Understand this. God has a plan in this. And the plan is simply this. Is that through our submission, the gospel is preached. Understand that. Now let's go back to verse 15. Let's just kind of tear this apart just for a few moments. Notice what happens here. Verse 15. For it is, for it is God's will. And God's will is in two parts here. Do you see this in the text? That you and I should do good. You get that? That's just a sweeping generalization for every Christian. If you know Jesus, God's will is for you and I to live a righteous life. Now, if you're having a hard time figuring that out, go to Scripture. It's there. Alright? So we're not going to plow into the, the details of that. But God's will is for you and I to do right. But part two of that is God's will is that by doing right, we silence the foolish, ignorant talk. Meaning... When we're doing right, when we're expressing the gospel by our submission, people experience the gospel. And there's no reason to come against how we live our lives. You follow that? There's no reason to persecute, and that's kind of a harsh word, our faith based upon our behavior. You follow me on this? When our behavior is congruent with our Creator, the reason for persecution, the reason for feeling like an outcast is not based upon what we do. It's based on our identity. You don't ever want to be caught on that side of saying, based upon what I do, 
because I have reacted negatively to a human authority, I'm being persecuted. No, no, no. You'll be persecuted for who you are. Follow me on this? So understand what's happening here. God's plan, God's plan is that we find ourselves completely in alignment with his will to carry out his purpose. Now, many of us, when we see an injustice from a position of leadership, we want to attack that vehemently, right? Now, we do this in a variety of ways. Whether we scream at people, whether we post negative things online, or, or I mean, we get angry. Would y'all agree on that? When somebody goes against our core belief, man, let's just be real, it ticks us off. When somebody insults our creator, it makes us mad. Would you agree? Let's just feel me on this, right? Now, here's the thing. This is what I want you to really grab hold of. If we attack that with a gospel mentality, it implements a gospel change. You follow that? If we live the life that Christ lives, yes, there are times to flip over tables like Jesus did in the temple. Yes, there are times to rebel. But understand this, in accordance to God's will, when we're submissive to his leadership and the leadership over us, the gospel is portrayed. Now, Rick Warren um, wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Y'all seen that, right? It's about 50 million copies have been sold, I guess. Uh, it's in every Walmart bookstore, 7-Eleven across America. And when he came out with this book, I'll never forget, he was being interviewed by one of the major news syndicates, and he's sitting down being interviewed because it was such a popular book, regardless of your opinion about it, it really doesn't matter, this is a great story. They looked at him and said this, they said, uh, Pastor Rick, it's a great book, learned a lot, but you say nothing about people who are impoverished or feeding the poor or taking care of those who are homeless in your book. Now, it may have been edited since then. But I'll never forget his response. Now, he could have come out and says, you know, that's not the purpose, or you're just trying to persecute me as a believer or make some big excuse. That'd be the, that'd be the thing many people would do, right? Because you pour your heart and soul into something, the knee-jerk reaction is to fight, hit against it, right? I'll never forget his response. He says, you're right. I repent of that. That's great. That's the gospel, is it not? That's how we respond as believers. You're right. Look how big my God is. He's redeeming me. And instead of me insulting you, being defensive, I'm going to let my God do the fighting. God has a plan. But here's the problem. There's some bad leaders out there. There's some leaders we don't agree with. In your lifetime, you have never had a president that you agreed 100% with. Ever. Have you? In your lifetime, you have never had a political leader in any position that you 100% agreed with. In our lifetime, there are things that happen within our country's government, and we're not a political church, we're a grace church, okay? That contradict our core belief in our value of Scripture and what it says. Agreed? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with bad leaders? How do we deal with leaders that specifically are counter-Christian. How do we, how do we understand that? Uh, Peter gives us a wonderful verse here in verse 16. And I want you to really cling to this. And I, and we're gonna, it's going to take some explaining, so hold still. Notice verse 16. Live as free people, 
But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Do you see that? Now, there's three parts. We're going to tear it apart. I got five minutes. I want you to remember where Peter is writing this from. Okay? As I explain this, let this sink down into your brain cells. I said this from the very beginning. Peter is writing this from a prison cell, and he's about to be killed for his faith by the guy whom he is telling the churches to submit to. Do you understand that? So he's not just speaking this. He's living this. Y'all with me on this? When we deal with this verse, it says live as free people. First of all, we have to understand that Christ has set us free. That through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, through the blood of Christ, you're forgiven. And you and I are placed in a position of complete and total freedom. We don't have to live in bondage anymore. However, just because you're free, you're free, don't make that an excuse to do evil things. Now, I want to say this. When you know Christ, you're still going to do bad things, right? I've been a believer since I was eight or nine years old. I would love to tell you from that moment forward, Center Hill Baptist Church in Gratis, Georgia, that I walked down the aisle, I accepted Christ. I would love to tell you this. I've never sinned since. Don't you laugh at me. Y'all know me too well, right? I would love to tell you that. But the reality is I'm a work in progress. God, through his process, through the redemption, through the gospel, is doing things in me, and I'm trying to grow and get better every day, just like you are, in my spiritual journey. But I don't want to use this freedom as an excuse or a permission slip to go do evil things just because I don't like to submit. Do you see that? I don't want to use this freedom to do things I know that God would not be pleased with just because I'm going to heaven. I want to honor God with that. There are times in my life where I, the flesh gets most more of me than the spirit, and I do those things, right? But here's what's interesting. Instead of being a slave again to culture by fighting against it from a man's perspective, Christ is saying submit to it and let your slavery be to God. Notice that last part of that verse. Do you see that? Don't be enslaved back to an institution. Be enslaved to God. Submit to the institution. So the point is, even when there's bad leaders, we still have to submit to them. Even when they're bad teachers, you still got to submit to it. Even when they're bad politicians, you still submit to it. With one caveat, and I really want you to understand this part. Because when we read through Scripture, whether it be the book of Exodus, the book of 2 Kings, or different parts of the Old Testament, there are times when rebellion against that government happens. And there are times when God specifically calls for that to happen. Because there are things even in our own culture, whether it be abortion, whether it be something that is counter-scripture, whether it be something that goes against what we're called to do. And here's, here's the point. Rebellion for the believer happens. We're obedient. And here's what I want you to see. We're going to put this on the screen. Obey except when commanded to sin. You understand that? Obey except when commanded to sin. There may be times where your leader tells you to do something that is absolutely sinful. And that's placing yourself back into a bondage of sin. 
back into a position, not spiritually speaking, to a position where it doesn't honor God. What I'm telling you is honor God by what you do. And when you're called to sin, listen to me. You disobey that command. Follow that? That's the premise of what's happening. Now, with that in mind, how do we practically live this out? So I'm going to give you four things, and I've got three minutes. That was the longest five minutes, wasn't it, ever? Second service, you go longer. Notice what happens. Let's go to verse, go to verse 17. Here's our application this morning. Notice what he says. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Four things, and they are laid out really, really well. First one is this, respect all people. Respect all people, regardless if you like that person or not, regardless if you agree with that person or not, regardless if your personalities clash or not. As a believer, we're to demonstrate honor or respect to that person because God honors that person. God values that person. Does that make sense? And as the church, as the body of Christ, we're to demonstrate that same value towards that person because God values them. Make sense? So that person that you have a hard time respecting, this goes transcends past just authorities, that teacher you have a hard time getting along with, that police officer who insults you, that coworker that frustrates you, that family member that grates your nerves, hear, hear me on this. God values them just like he values you and respect them. Got that? Second thing is love the church. Love the church. Now, what I mean by that, let's go back to that verse uh, in verse 17 because I really want you to see how this lays out here. It says, show proper respect to everyone, and then it says, love the church, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, notice on the screen here, it's hard to see, but I want you to notice the word respect and the word honor in that sentence are the same Greek words, all right? New Testament is written in Greek. And so I want you to understand something. The only two words that vary is it pertains to the body of Christ and to God himself. Do you see that? And what he's communicating to us is simply this. As believers, we value all people. But listen to me, church. Eyeballs, listen, look at me. Here, understand this, okay? You've got to love each other. We've got to love the body of Christ. We've got to come together. Connection within the body of Christ is so important. And I want to be really honest with you about something. In the church of 2019 in America, we do a really poor job of that. Now, there are several reasons. Statistically speaking, and I'm going to nerd out for a moment, churches are either getting smaller or bigger. Not much in between. Most of you, if you grew up in church, you grew up in a church of about 200 people. And you met once a month and you had a big covered dish or dinner on the grounds, right? Or maybe you had a Sunday school gathering and you hung out together. Look, my closest friends growing up were the ones I was forced to go to Sunday school with. Here's the thing, and this is what's so important. That is not the norm anymore. Now, there are three reasons. One, it's a cultural thing. And the cultural thing means this. You go home and you shut your garage and you don't even want to speak to your neighbor. Would you all agree on that? You've got an invisible sign in front of your yard that says, leave me alone. Are we real with each other right now, right? I've lived in neighborhoods, and I'm as guilty as you are. I've lived in neighborhoods with people, and I still don't know their names. Lived next to them for a decade. It's a cultural problem. We put up privacy fences. Mark Twain, what does it say? Tall fences make great neighbors. Amen. <laughs> but it's also a church problem. 
in our current church context, we want to show you only from the stage. And sometimes we miss, we want to show you what it looks like smaller. Does that make sense? Church is done better than in circles than it is in rows, people. You got to connect, got to love the church. And that's something we're really working hard on here at River Hills. Really working hard. The third reason, are you ready for this? Is cultural, it's church. Here's where I step on your toes. It's your fault. Because many of us have been in this room for years. And whether it's your fault or my fault or somebody sitting behind you's fault, well, I just I just don't want to connect. I got enough relationships. Or I don't want to take that step of faith. You follow me on that? There's some responsibility that we have to take individually. Would y'all agree on that? So here's my challenge to you. I want you to contradict culture. I want you to step out of your comfort zone. This is going to be a stupid action step, but it's going to be great. Are y'all ready for this? Come to the confections and conversations night. <laughs> Does that sound good? Bring your best dessert. We're going to put you at tables with people that you don't know so you can get to know them. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. But then the church is going to come together, and it's going to be connecting, and you're going to develop relationships, and in your time of need, they're going to be there. You follow me on this? That's what the body is about. Love the church. Next thing is fear God. Fear God. We submit to the Lord, and in doing that, we submit to others. Fearing God is not being scared of God. Fearing God is saying, God, you are big. You are powerful. We depend on you. Fear God. And the last thing is this. Respect the authorities. Respect the authorities. Make sure that we are demonstrating the proper amount of respect to those that are in charge of us. I'm not saying be silent. I'm not saying don't do anything. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying walk away. What I'm saying is let the method of your protest represent the maker of your heart. You see that? Let the method represent your maker. Let it match how he would live. Follow that? Respect authority. One of my heroes is Mother Teresa. I've shared that to you before, with you before. I may have told you this story before, but I love this. You'll probably hear it again. But Mother Teresa, um, to me, was represented what we're talking about this morning, probably more so than anyone else. Uh, she was not a protester. She was not a person who got up and screamed at people. But through her ministry of kindness and ministry, she just did amazing things and influenced the world in some fantastic ways. You ought to read about her. Uh, the former mayor of San Francisco, I think it was in the 80s, tells the story about how Mother Teresa one night knocked on his door. Now, San Francisco is a large city. I'm sure he had security, but here's the thing. Who's going to stop Mother Teresa? Let's just be real with each other. So they knock at his door, he opens the door, and there's Mother Teresa, one of her sisters, and they're standing there, and she goes, we'd like to talk with you. He said, well, come on inside. It was a Sunday evening about 5, between 5 and 8 o'clock at night, and the two little ladies walked inside, and they brought him into the study and said, what can I help you with? He said, uh, Mr. Mayor, we've walked around your city, and there are scores of homeless people, and there are scores of people who are going hungry, and, and we noticed that there is a building that the city owns, and we would like to procure that or for you to give it to us or find out more about it so that we can open up a homeless shelter. Would you be willing to at least consider that? He goes, yeah, well, tomorrow morning I get to the office, I look into it. And Mother Teresa looks at him, and listen, I love this. She looks at him and says, the hungry can't wait till tomorrow morning. And the mayor says, they got in the car in the middle of the night with Mother Teresa. He drove to the building, and they looked at it. Now, if she had approached that in a way of like, 
well, that's what you're supposed to do. Or this is my right. Or you need to do that. Do you think she'd have had access? Absolutely not. But as one wonderful saint said, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. And the way we preach the gospel, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, is through submission. Question, how submissive are you? Even in the face of someone you may not agree with, how submissive are you? How's the gospel coming out in those ways? This morning, some of you never submitted to Christ. You never asked Christ to come into your life, and if you were to die tonight, you may not go to heaven. So what I want to challenge you on on that is that on the Connect card you were given, there are several boxes, and one says, this morning I want to surrender my life to Christ. And if that's you, check that box, and we'll call you in the morning to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Others, you, other, others of you have never uh, been baptized. You've never stepped up and said, I want to identify myself with Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized. There's a box there for that. Others of you need to get connected with people, whether it be a life group or something else, but you need to identify yourself with that. But whatever God is calling you to do, I want to encourage you to be submissive in how you live your life with authorities, respecting people, loving the church, and fearing the Lord. Y'all with me on that? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and ask God that you would move very specifically in profound and powerful ways in us, through us, with us. And God, that in these moments that we would be overwhelmingly consumed by the majesty of who you are and that these words would drill deep into our brain cells deep into our spirit so that we might honor you in how we live our lives god there are some authorities out there that that we just don't that contradict what we believe and so god i pray that as we look and evaluate the history of christianity the history of the church and we see things like the great awakening we see things like the Welsh Revival. As we look to Africa and see what you're doing in that continent right now as far as revival goes, as we see the Chinese coming to Christ, I pray, God, here in our community, in our nation, in our county, in our state, that you would do it again here. And it would be start with the faithfulness of, a, of Christians being willing to say, you first, Jesus. That you would do that again. That you would do that in such a way that it, that it echoes through our submission that the gospel would radiate through that. that. Lord, as we struggle to balance being a believer and fortifying our lives in a culture that is very much not Christian friendly, Father, it's not supposed to be because we're exiles. So let our longing be for the citizenship that is in heaven. So do it again, God. Move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's work.